This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to the Weekly Dish. I'm Stephanie Hansen from Stephanie's Dish. And normally I introduce my co-host Stephanie March, but she is a little under the weather today. So I'm here with Alex Laudner, who I never get to spend Hi. time with because you always fill in for me. It's so fun to be across from you again. How are you, Alex? I'm great. I'm okay. great. Alex, professionally, you've done yes. so many things. How would you introduce yourself today to the food people? Maybe oh. that aren't familiar with you. I just say freelance food writer. Yes. That's what I always say because people will say, oh, who do you write for? And I say everyone. Everyone. Everyone who will have me. Absolutely. So, yeah, I'm going on 23 years. Okay. Which is weird because I'm 27. So. (laughs) So I started Very talented. You, gosh, that is a long time though. You've been in the food space a lot longer than me. Really? Yeah, because I think, well, we were talking about it the other day. I think... This show is going on, I think, its 14th year, but I was on the radio station for a couple of years before that. Okay. So, yeah, just That's been amazing. here a long time. Yeah, yeah. I started, I actually weirdly started September of 01, so. And what was your first job? Crazy. Uh, Minnesota Monthly. Okay, still yep. kicking it out there. Yeah, that was, and I didn't realize at the time what a big get that was. I just my friend sort of introduced me to the editor there and she was like, yep, absolutely. Here's a monthly column. And I had no idea at the time how, what a big thing that was right. and how hard I would have to work in in the subsequent 20 years to get better or not better and better jobs, but you know, keep yeah. it up, keep Improve. it up. I did have a, a stint for more corporate stuff in the middle there, but what do came you back to my love? Like as a freelancer, do you mind if we just kind of pick your brain and ask some questions here? Go for it. This is what the whole show is going to be about. We do have a couple of guests coming up. But so last yesterday was a big day in journalism, not necessarily positive. Yeah. Um, Anna Wintour yep. marched into yep. the offices of Pitchfork that originated in the Twin Cities. I don't think a lot of people know that. Yep. It was some city pages and folks 
and basically fired everybody with her sunglasses on, didn't even take them off. <laughs> That's what I heard. Then um, Sports Illustrated yep. basically had a Zoom call. And by the way, if you're a freelance journalist and you're on a Zoom call, like, ooh, make sure been. you have your box of Kleenex handy. Mm-hmm. Basically laid off all of those people. Then the guy that owns Sinclair Broadcasting, uh, which is a large group, not unlike Hubbard Broadcasting, he bought the Baltimore Sun and basically went into the newsroom and said, hey, all this journalist stuff that you're working on doesn't matter. What matters is clicks. So we need more clicks, more hits, more clicks. So that was interesting. Mm -hmm. And then something, oh, there was a writer strike and following up with a bunch of writers from the LA Times um, going on a, what are those fake strikes that they do just to be like, hey, management, you're on notice that oh geez that know, I did not much, know about. don't do much okay. but so that was basically the day yesterday for journalism yeah and at, on the one hand people like to vilify the media because it's like oh the liberal media the media this the media that but if you really spend some time thinking about what the world would be like without media mm-hmm. and without your neighborhood community reporters and journalists a you wouldn't know a lot about what's going on in the in your town in your community in the United States more right. importantly also the world right you would just be operating in a vacuum like you maybe were in the farm days with all the news you got was from your neighborhood community right, right. your neighbors right Right. Now, in some respects, that sounds a little charming and and nice to maybe harken back to those days. Nowadays, yes. But it's also a little isolating and thinking about globally, that's not how we live anymore. That just mm-hmm. isn't how the world goes. Right. So when you are a freelance journalist, like, what does that feel like? Are you constantly like hustling for jobs? And I, I know you're in a little bit different position now because you've been doing it so long, but yeah. So I would never use the word journalist to describe myself. I definitely say it's funny because I don't either. Yeah, I would describe myself that that would take away from the people and, you know, in Kuwait or what have you. But um, so I think of myself more as a reference writer. So the the work that I do and I it it's not the same as a lot of writers in town, like the deep dives and let me get to the minutia. The, yeah. The what long inspired, form. Yep. No, that I like the, the shorter succinct informational pieces because I like what that does for the reader. I like when, when I get told by a reader, Hey, I was in town and I needed a coffee shop in my, in the neighborhood I was at. And I looked you up on eater. That's why I do this. Yeah. I want to be, helpful it sounds so stupid but i like to just be no it doesn't you know kind of i i I say that because we're not i'm not curing cancer but especially in today's world with so many so many bad things going on if the fact that i can talk to you about like where the best place is to get wings or a donut it's so light and it just feels like i'm bringing something a little bit lighter to people because no matter what's happening around us we still eat well and one of the things i think that people forget so, like, my first reaction to that was like, oh, well, people look it up on Google or Google, find the five best wings. Right. What you don't think the next part about that is, is that all of that information that someone Google has wrote. came from a journalist, <laughs> right. came from a food a writer, writer, came yep. from someone in the community that took right. the time to write something that the Internet then scraped and serves it up to you and in that handy fashion. Exactly. And and I think what, what I love about the Twin Cities, and I've never written in a different market, so I don't know, but what I love about the Twin Cities, there's very few of us, as you know, and some of us come from food, and some of us come from writing. 
And I come from writing. So I have a master's degree in creative writing and I fell into this lifestyle and food because it's what I love. But I'm constantly researching and I'm constantly learning. Whereas I think that people came that came from food, then they already have that built in knowledge sure. about restaurants and about food. And then they just like put it down on paper. Yeah. For me, I'm always, you know, we, we're going to talk about things later that I you sent me an article yesterday and I've just went down the deep dive. It's so fun to keep learning. Yeah. For me, if I. So if you're I, a knowledge seeker. I'm an absolute, I'm very curious. And for me, if I knew everything I was already talking about, it would be over. Yeah. That, that's the joy of it is every time I get a new assignment, that means to me an opportunity to learn. And again, it's of a very light things, people. It's not, you know, but I love it. I if, love it. If you're just joining us, we are here with Alex Lawner. She is filling in for Steph, who's out ill today. And we are just, we've got some great guests, but we just, I want to talk a little bit about the food space because in the last year, like there's been a lot of change in the food magazines too, like a lot of controversy. Yeah. Uh-huh. And Magnolia is a magazine that I get and it's gone really more towards the lifestyle piece. Yeah. Eat, eat well, which was a magazine I loved. Stop publishing. Um, bon Appetit and um, is is small. Right. Food and wine is smaller. Right. Uh, Savour is coming back. One of yeah. the journalists. So is Edible Twin Cities. That's back. They came back on our show about. a couple weeks ago. Yeah. yeah. So we're maybe in a renaissance of niche publications being able mm-hmm. to find a way that it'll work again. And I think that will happen with journalism, too. What maybe isn't sustainable is that these very large business owners, independent business owners, maybe that's not a sustainable model. Like maybe journalism is maybe of a more of a nonprofit versus a revenue generator. Well, from the freelance writer side of it, it's never been revenue generated. Yeah, exactly. So that, uh, do you, that's is it still like me. 25 cents a word or is it you even know, less than that? It varies so much. I, I don't, I don't break it down to per word because I think that would be way too depressing. So can you just give us like a range, not of your necessary income, but right. what you know, like freelance, like a, a 500 word article is generally what? Like from what range to what range? Because mm. I don't think people have a clue how low paying these jobs are. It's so so it's probably five, six hundred bucks. Yeah. And you have to understand that unless you're a full timer, you're doing that once a week. Yeah. At, and that's a good month. So do that math. This is this is not a money making career. It hasn't been for me. It's been an absolute, absolute, you know, such a buzzword, but passion project. Yeah, and fun hobby. Absolutely, and that pays a little tiny, tiny. Yeah. Well, and it honestly. So if I'm just going to be really Please. laid out there, that most of the publications I work for don't even give me a per diem. So yeah. people don't know that either. They're like, well, why can't you talk about such and such? Well, because I literally can't afford to go eat there. Yeah, I don't have two hundred dollars <laughs> exactly. in a budget to go eat and there, and I'm not going to tell my reader about someplace I don't know about. Yeah, I or just, that I didn't eat at. Yep, uh, my my opinions, and I'm not a I'm not a reviewer. I'm a writer, which is a whole nother topic. But I have to only give you my tr- what I, my experience is. So if I can't afford to eat there, you're probably not going to read about it for me. All right. So if someone's asking you to subscribe to something and you like their work or you like their writing, I guess subscribe, right? Like, it's just we want to support the journalistic endeavors and the writing endeavors. We'll just go there. Um, if and you- communicate. Write to us. Send us DMs. And tell them what you want. Yes. And they'll do it. They'll do it. If they can get it done, they'll do it. All right. We're going to go ahead and we take a break. We're going to come back. Speaking of journalists, I learned a whole bunch about a weird topic that I deep dove on called salt. We'll be right back. (laughs)
hello. I'm standing outside in my underwear, shivering. They say it burns 400 calories an hour. Is this a workout craze or just crazy? No pain, no loss. I just lost feeling in my toes. We could enroll at the Y for a zero dollar enrollment this month. We'd get the latest equipment and a free fitness assessment. And it's inside. Let's go to ymcanorth.org for details. Feel the burn. The frost burn. Everybody, we are talking about salt. And you know why we're talking about salt? Because I had no idea. Like Stephanie and I, this is a few months ago, maybe this came up. Or she was like, Oh no, it's a recent article, but somehow a couple months ago we started talking about the different salts. Mm-hmm. And we were both like, Yeah, I don't really know the difference. And so recently an article came up about salt, and I did a deep dive. Number one, because in Croatia and I've sailed there a lot, there is this island called Mijet, and there's another island called Ston. And Ston is the big island, and Molly Ston is the little island. Cute. And they actually have these old-fashioned, that they still use, salt ponds, where the seawater comes in, then they evaporate it out, and they make this Croatian salt that they sell all over the country of Croatia. And the ponds were man-made? They were... I, I mean... I don't know if they were man-made or ruins or oh. Roman-made. Like, literally, cool. they're they're just like rocks, like caves, yeah. kind of. Okay. They're okay. not like an organized factory-type thing, but yeah. then they built a factory up around this structure. Okay, cool. That, so maybe more of a natural occurrence. And, yeah, or yeah. potentially the Romans, yeah. because even there's some islands in Italy that I've been to that the Romans made eel pens underneath like the water they carved out of the tufa. So I think these were carved out of the existing rock. Okay. Very cool. So the salt goes in, the sun evaporates the water out and then the salt is left behind and then they filter it and blah, blah, blah. So that's generally how salt is made, right? It is a natural byproduct that's left behind and it's, something that we have been eating and using to season our food for forever. It also was like on the global spice trade. You know, you read about like the Vikings coming into Europe. The saffron and the coffee. Correct. Mm -hmm. They were in search of flavor. And that was sort of how the whole trade routes were set up was based on flavor. So the other day, someone gave me, I was at Love That Olive in Maple Grove, and um, Terry, who is the owner up there, gave me this salt to try, and it is black garlic salt. Ooh. So it's salt that's flavored with black garlic. So I was like, okay, flavored salts. But there is so many different kinds of salts. I just thought it might be interesting to just go down the road. How do you feel about the flavoring? Because that's a whole nother topic. I don't like flavored coffee. I don't, I don't like things flavored. How do you feel about that? It depends. Okay. Um, I don't love truffle. Mm-hmm. Me neither. I like a real truffle, like literally that is taken out of the ground and shaved on something in front of me. Exactly. That's amazing. Exactly. Truffle oil. That's and like not that real. truffle scent that mm-hmm. is left behind in truffle salt is not my jam. Yeah. I think a garlic salt is fine if it's literally based in salt and garlic. And that sounds weird, but a lot of the commercial garlic salt or onion salt that you buy or onion powder, it's um, dehydrated versus, yeah. So table salts, just basic table salt that you find all over the world, 
is tiny, fine crystals that are uniform in size and uniform in color. They're iodized to help protect against iron deficiencies that they used to have so you didn't get scurvy. <laughs> Remember, the people get scurvy. Arg. Um, they're... It's also got an anti-caking agent in it, and it dissolves quickly. People use it on food. It's table salt. But then there's kosher salt. And kosher salt, I used to think, was like literally blessed by a rabbi, but that's not necessarily the case. It is. Uh, it doesn't need rabbinical certification to be called kosher. There are some brands that are. But you, what defines kosher salt is the large coarse grain. And basically, when you're koshering salt, it did start as a way to, they use this salt to remove blood from meat in Jewish dietary restrictions. But now it's become, yeah, so now it's become more ubiquitous of a term. Mm -hmm. And it is industrially produced and it is not iodized, so it doesn't have the caking agent. So that's why a lot of chefs use it. Right. Um, there's two different kinds of kosher salt that they sell on the market, and this is even more complicated. Morton salt has dense, heavy cubes that pack together tightly in a measuring spoon, whereas Diamond Crystal, which is the other brand, and is really the darling of a lot of professional chefs, it's shaped into light flakes, and it remains separate. So the salinity, meaning the salt value, of Morton's is twice as salty as Diamond Crystal. Which is so bizarre because you don't think that a brand, it's a its a different thing. You can't replace one with the other. So Correct. they're not interchangeable just by brand. Correct. Yes. So when I'm like working on a cookbook, one of my complaints about my own first cookbook is I really love salt. Uh-huh. So I was very conscientious and very um, conservative in my salt use in my book. Okay. I think a lot of the food when I make it is undersalted. Now, I don't know if it's just undersalted to me because, again, I love salt. It is. I've or made if food, I took I would too much salt out of a lot of those recipes. Uh, I would not say that. I've made those recipes. I don't love salt. I don't think yours is underseasoned. Okay, no, thank you. Because I was like, oh my gosh, my did I underseason the whole book because I love no. salt? So when you read a cookbook, though, and it says, like, use kosher salt. Right. Are you using Morton's, which is twice as salty, or are you using Diamond Crystal? So something to think about. Then there's just sea salt. Which is, again, like this Croatian salt, literally comes from the sea. It, it is put into a water pond. There's no caking agents typically added. And they take out the original water, and you're left with this finishing salt. They're, they're large crystals. They're kind of um, bigger. Yes. So perfect for, like, meats and seasoning, like, a roast chicken and that kind of thing. But you're not just going to, like, take a lot of these natural occurring salts and just throw them right on your food it would be too salty right i don't actually use the the like i have maldon and i don't use that in cooking i use that in finishing here's what the coolest thing about that is the um diamond uh, maldon flake is a pyramid Right. And I'm going to show you a that. picture. So, no, I, I'm on the article, yeah, too. It's so beautiful. It, it's like a snowflake. It is. And so in like a teaspoon, those flakes, they line up like in a row. And it's not then as salty because they're not as compact. Mm-hmm. So when you use that as a finishing salt, you can like crumble it between your hands or your fingers it's really just a delicious salt to use. Now, how about fleur de sel? Do you ever use that? I don't. I've seen it in restaurants and in Europe, obviously, but I've not. I don't own it. 
It is um it is also a mineral salt that comes from the water, but it has a lot more crunchy texture. It works well with desserts right. because it stays in that granular form like caramels or chocolates. Right. At, uh, at Mara, by the way, they have these chocolate chip cookies that they put crunchy salt on top. Oh, yum. That pure sounds heaven. delicious. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Then there's Himalayan pink salt. Yes. And this is, you've seen it. Yes. So one of the things that got me on the salt train too is um, they have these uh, Himalayan sea salt rocks that you, instead of salting your pasta water, you put these rocks in it. Okay. And these were at Love Your Olive too. And okay. so you are salting your water, but without the pinch of salt that you would normally put, you just d- dish the... Does the whole rock dissolve then? No. Oh. It just flavors it the water. Up? And then when you're done making your pasta, oh. you just pull your rocks out, put them back in your mason jar and you're wow. good to go. I have a block with a little grater. And then, but I would, I, it's tiny, yep. like a little block that you can grate on. But what I really want to get after reading this article is the, the, the boards. Oh, the planks. The yeah. planks. You that you can put on, on the grill. that and oh, it that infuses your food. Right. All right. Just a little deep dive about salt. I'll put the link up on the Facebook page. <laughs> I thought it was fun to talk about. So fun. We'll be right fun back. To read. Closet Factory is my go-to closet organizer. They are going to be coming to my house in February and redoing my closet. Okay, we've had a couple meetings. We've gone through everything that I want in a closet. We've talked about, do I want shelves? Do I want drawers? What kind of handles do I want? What color do I want? I am very excited. My altar designer, Liz, helped me put everything together. But now I have to like take all the stuff out of my closet and organize it so that they can put it all back in when the closet is complete. Right now, they've got a $500 offer. And you guys, you can use this for a front hall. You can use it for a closet. You can use it for uh, when someone stashes stuff, when they walk in the door, you know, for a phone and any of your spaces that you want to reorganize, they can do. They can put a Murphy bed in a guest bedroom. Closet Factory can do it all. Call the Hanson hotline at 763-551-9100. It's $500 off. That's great savings. Call Liz. Call Teresa. It's locally owned, women-owned business, and they will get you hooked up. It's Closet Factory. It's me. All right. We are back, and we are here with my friend Alex Zweber. And Alex is the man who makes Sherub shrubs. You maybe saw him. Were you out a lot at winter markets? Uh, we were at a few winter markets. We were mainly at uh, at the Dayton's Holiday Market, yeah. which is, I think, one of my favorite spots just in the yeah. entire state. Mitch does a great job of putting well, that does. market together. So you make, and I met you a while ago. I think I first met you at a, at a bar. Because were you a bartender first? Yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I worked um, for the Certix family at Certix Flights in the airport, gosh, for probably about 10 or 12 years. So I think that's probably. Yeah, I think so. Where, where well, we you're definitely at airports met. a lot. Steph, yes, so. I am at airports <laughs> a lot. I do like to travel. So you started making shrubs yes. and you have a lot. Like, I think how many flavors do you have now? Do you have six? I think we're up to nine right now. Okay. In bottled jars of shrubs. And I, you've taken that evolution and now you are into a new product that you're calling Shrubs and Bubs, yep. which is a canned uh, drink. And then you've taken that even one step further and have some that have THC in it. So Correct. can you just talk a little bit about shrubs in general and oh, what yeah. they are? Yeah. So I think the really cool thing with shrubs is you are essentially having history in a, in a drink. Um, they started in northern Iran and the Middle East as a way to preserve uh, fruits, vegetables, herbs, different things without refrigeration. So generally, 
uh, honey would be used as well as vinegar and things would be fermented and then they would either add the vinegar right then and there um, or they would let it ferment a little bit longer and add the vinegar after the fact. Um, so what's really fun about that is having vinegar as your preservation technique. As we all know, pickling, fermentation, um, just probiotic things have really become popular in the past few years. Um, so are shrubs like a sweet or a sour? They're actually kind of both. Um, they have fruit, sugar, and vinegar. So I guess that really depends on what your base, um, I guess, fruit, vegetable, or herb is. Um, our Thai basil is kind of that sweet and savory. It's got almost like this cooling effect of spearmint and then just that beautiful herbaceous uh, um, forwardness of the Thai basil. Um, whereas the strawberry literally just smells like a, a jar of grandma's freezer jam. So yeah. Kind of have the whole gamut. I was telling Alex, I use shrubs a lot for non-alcoholic beverages. We're in dry January, so that's probably worth a mention. But I also use them to mix with spirits, but also cooking. Oh, for sure. I make a lot of salad dressings with shrubs. Yeah. And that's, I think, the fun thing that I'd really like people to know um, in 2024 is... These are kind of the workhorse for the kitchen and the bar. Whether you're using them in food or drinks, they're so applicable um, because it's just fruit, sugar, and vinegar. So if you add oil and maybe a little bit of either Dijon or honey to make it a little bit more clingable, you have an amazing vinaigrette without any additives. Um, you can use them um, when you're grilling because the sugar is going to caramelize whatever protein is on, and then the vinegar is going to break down that connective tissue. So like... Our blueberry poblano on a rack of ribs, uh, just as a glaze, is phenomenal. Or even our strawberry drizzled over angel food cake with some fresh berries and whipped cream is kind of that Yum. nostalgic oh dessert. My gosh. That I know. So I'm good. like, oh, share Why do you bring that, Alex? Alex? Getting us thinking about dessert. Okay, so you took the shrub that you've been selling mm -hmm. and that are delicious, by the way, and then you decided to add it into a can. So tell me about that. Yeah, so I think that's been one of our dreams for quite a while. Yeah, I remember you talking about this years ago. Yeah, we just wanted something that was super approachable because I think a lot of people are afraid of shrubs because of the vinegar content. Sure. Or maybe a little apprehensive as far as, okay, now what do I do with this? And so the ready-to-drink category is just so nice and easy because all you have to do is crack it, sip it, and enjoy it. And... um the nice thing with the shrubs is they're non-alcoholic. So if you're a child, you can have the strawberry shrub. If you're an adult, you can have it. If you're going camping to the pool, wherever you want to go, you can just bring your, your shrub and bub with you. And the beauty is they're low calorie, they're low sugar. There's really basically nothing to it aside from shrub and, and some carbonated water. Yeah, I am like whenever someone comes to my house, they know I always will have a mocktail option because I like to have festivity in yeah. party, you know, like and even my little nieces that are now in high school. But they're like, will you make us a mocktail? Like they know that I'll have all the stuff. Yep. And it's fun to just make something special for someone with even if you just, you know, put a little sprig of something in there. It feels festive. It does. And and I think more people are apt to go for things that just taste good. Whereas, you know, five, ten years ago, there's two very distinct camps. Either you drank or you really didn't drink. Now there's so many people that, yes, they might imbibe, but they might come over to your house and say, you know what? 
I'd rather this this non-alcoholic drink looks fantastic. I'd rather have one of those yes. because I don't need to have a cocktail right now. And that's where I really think um, people have switched their perception of drinking is they look for flavor and it doesn't always have to be alcoholic. I love that description. So also people have, we've had seen the rise in THC. Yes. So you take these, you've got a strawberry, you've got a pineapple toasted coconut. Then you took the flavors and you added um, THC to them. And tell me about why you did that and how hard was that to do? Because THC is sort of on the rise. Yeah. Um, That was something that um, our distributors and I talked about. And we just thought looking at the market and where it's going, it would just be advantageous to have a THC seltzer. But not only that, bring something in that's almost sessionable. A lot of people have five milligram and 10 milligram we really thought that coming in with a three milligram is a great product because you can drink them throughout the night. You can stack them. You could have two or three and three is going to be nine milligrams versus having one 10 milligram. So it's something that's creating this just social change to where if you want to drink them throughout the night, you can have something that's light, that's refreshing, that's delicious. But also you look at alcohol is is kind of changing. You know, like I stated earlier, not everybody's in that defined camp of either I drink or they don't drink. There's you know, a lot of in-betweens, yeah. and especially younger people under 40. Exactly. They don't drink like we used to drink. They just, it's like kind of a take it or a leave it, or like they'll yep. have something with adaptogens. They'll maybe have some kind of matcha. Like they're just more adventurous flavor-wise. Yeah, and and I think that kind of falls into two reasons. One, I think we're we're busier now more than we ever were. So, I mean, then in the 90s, you'd have your nine to five, you'd go to your happy hour and then you'd go home and either have dinner, or, you know, maybe have another cocktail. But I don't know many people that that's their life. No, There's, the side no, hustle yeah. and just the hours that right. people well, work. and the cost. It used to, you know, now you go to a happy hour and a really it's an eighteen dollar drink, beautiful yep. cocktails, eighteen bucks. You're not going to pound six of those. Yeah, even exactly. at happy hour. This is not the Alex. The what did you just reveal about yourself <laughs> that you're pounding six well, this cocktails? Is not, I'm just remembering. You sound like you know, TJ. Uh, what what is the guy TJ that's with? Uh, what's her name? Amy Robach. Oh goodness! You said he had 18 drinks before noon. Oh, that's a problem. I'm just thinking about, you know, the day of the rolling rock, right? Yeah. Or the, where you just walk around the bar. Or the two-for-one happy or hour, the two for one. There's yeah. none of that. There's yeah, none just, of that. Just going to Champs with, with yeah. the drink after, after work. And, <laughs> and having three beers and yeah, a pile right, of wings and right. then going home and having dinner. No. Exactly. Now now it's all, I think, Alex, you said it exactly right. It's all about the, prof, the flavor profile. People will have a cocktail in lieu of a dessert sometime because what they're looking for, it's almost like a dish. They're coming. Yep. Like yeah, dish. that's the They're, rise of the espresso martini for sure. Oh yeah. gosh, well, that's a whole two-hour conversation. <laughs> Maybe we'll have that conversation. No. Okay, so the THC versions yes. are Thai basil yep. and blueberry poblano. Correct. And your blueberry poblano, I just served it to someone the other day with some soda water and a little lime. Yes. And she was like, what is this? It's this is sweet, amazing. It's a sweet and smoky, which... Sounds amazing. I'm going to fully admit, never have had a THC cocktail yet. Okay. I've had a gummy. 
Yeah. And it was a sort of mixed experience. I've never had so much cotton mouth in my whole life. The next day, I just <laughs> oh, felt like, wow, this is weird. A hemp gummy. Because uh, that's the difference, people. It's hemp versus hemp derived versus. Yes, it's yes. hemp derived okay. THC versus right. a marijuana derived. Right. And we can't do the marijuana here yet. Okay, yeah. I had a California one, so that oh, probably, probably could have resulted deal, in yeah. that. But yeah. I am committed. I have a friend. We're both like, we want to try the THC drinks, yeah. but we're both kind of scared. So we're going to start with yours. I have them set aside. (laughs) We're going to have a little like movie night situation where we're in a safe environment. And I know they're only three milligrams. You're going to be disappointed. These are these are just going to just make you a tiny bit happy. I won't be disappointed. That's what I want. I do not want to go to some brewery and have a 10 milligram THC cocktail that I drink it and it tastes great. And 45 minutes later, I'm catatonic. I'm scared of that. You're seeing things in color. Yeah, you, you I can don't hear want that. In color. I just want to like have a little relax. You just right. want somebody to come and just give you like a five minutes shoulder massage. Yes, like, <laughs> Alex. Whoa, you this is what these come with? Wait a minute, wait a minute. That's what the three milligrams does. And I think that's why we came in with the three milligrams. So many people are new to this market and wanting to try this out for a myriad of reasons, whether that's they're trying to maybe drink less, drink less or, you know, health reasons or to kind of go off the busyness a lot of people want to feel a hundred percent in the morning not 96 percent, not 97 they want to feel a hundred percent in the morning and they know they can have a thc seltzer and then wake up there's no slight hangover there's no acid reflux there's no nothing you just you feel like nothing happened so that's I think the three milligrams are are kind of a nice leaping point for a lot of people who are just getting into it. I love it. Um, the blueberry poblano is just like that kind of sweet and spicy blueberry margarita. You can add a little bit of lime to it. Um, the Thai basil, it just reminds me of being in the Como Conservatory in <laughs> the middle of winter. It is tropical. It's fresh. It's oh, funky. I love it. I love that. And you just close your eyes and you're very aware you are not in Minnesota. Alex, thanks for being here today, oh, bringing so shrubs and just helping us learn about sheriff shrubs and shrubs and bubs. You also Ooh. have a drink on the bar menu at Restoration Hardware now, right? Yes. Um, we just uh, got into Restoration Hardware rooftops in a rose spritz. So it is going to be a Lille rose. Our strawberry shrub, a little squeeze of fresh lime juice, and some Pierre Spar sparkling lime. That sounds amazing. It is Love it. so That's good. Bring in a cup. Right yes. There. It is. So try shrubs, you guys. Uh, pick up the Sherub shrubs. You can find them. Where can they find them? So our shrub and bubs are available at Certix, uh, Central Avenue Liquor, Marigold, Zero Proof, Thomas Liquors, um, and quite a few other spots around the state. Um, we have a full listing on our website in addition to our Instagram. All right, so check it out, you guys. Alex, thanks for being with us today. Thank you so much for We'll be right back. You're listening to The Weekly Dish. We're going to have our calls when we come back on Ask Stephanie. So 651-641-1071. If you want to call in and tell us how you use shrubs, if you want to talk to us about a new restaurant, if you have questions about salt, we're now experts. 651-641-1071. Ask Stephanie. We'll take your calls live when we come back. I'm Bradley Trainer, And I'm Don McClain. We have a podcast called Blinded by the Item. A blind item is gossip about a celebrity with their name left out. It's a guessing game, and you can play along. The item might be like, this A-list star carries a Birkin bag worth more than the average person's house to the gym to work out. Pretty sure that's J-Lo. And P.S. The person behind all of this is Chris Jenner, LLC. We drop a new episode every weekday so the fun never ends. Blinded by the Item. Listen wherever you get podcasts and watch us on the Blinded by the Item YouTube channel.
wish you guys could see Alex sitting across from me singing every word of a Taylor Swift song. You're a Swifty. Can we just keep going? We could music? keep going. Okay. I don't know. But Brian's hanging on the line. Brian is always our first caller. Good morning, Brian. Hi, Brian. How you doing? I'm doing well. How are you guys doing? Happy New Year. Yeah, last week was a little bit busy, so I didn't get my uh, my cooking hack. Oh, oh. what's your cooking well, hack that you the, wanted to share? The movie Misery. Kathy Bates' character put spam into her meatloaf to give it that extra little zing. <laughs> you know, that's actually probably a really good idea. Yeah. It's the only thing we should take away from that movie. As I loved that movie. <laughs> I loved the book too. Thanks, Brian. Six five one six four one one zero seven one. If you guys want to call in live, we have a producer standing by, ready to take your calls on the air. Um, I guess I should officially maybe say that I'm working on a new cookbook. Yay! I haven't said it out loud very much, but one of the things that I'm sort of obsessing over is I think I have four meatloaf recipes already. Wow! And like spam do they, do meatloaf spam sounds like it could be something. Is spam something you could recreate? At home, so it's not the actual... No, no. I, you would need to use the can of Spam. Okay. But it. I Got think it. you could... Fair. It's just ham loaf. So you could cut the ham loaf into like ground beef and right. or even ground pork and create then a Spam loaf? Uh, I don't know. I, I don't might know do about it. that either. I have made a Swedish meatloaf. Ooh. I have made a gochujang meatloaf. Oh, that sounds like I have should be made a, a beef meatloaf, and I'm like, okay, maybe one more. Maybe every month I'll have a meatloaf. What's, That's kind of fun. What's the theme? What What's the well, genre? It's it's basically cold weather cooking. So it's okay. going to be October through uh, April, the okay. months, because the first book that I did was May through September. Oh, so I'm going to round out the rest of the year and do a lot of the soups and stews and cold weather cooking that I do. And the theme is sort of about going from the cabin to the Twin Cities, but it's not really roughed out yet. Okay. My stories, I'm not sure what I'm doing, but I think it's going to be holiday gathering. So similar vibe. Yeah, but but maybe more um, Twin Cities interplayed in the pictures. Okay. Because there's not a lot of cabin scenery in the wintertime. It's just... Could be, but yeah, right. right. Yeah, I have yeah. some. Yeah, yeah. So I'm still working on kind of that narrative piece, but generally that's it. Six five one six four one one zero seven one. Everybody is busy uh, planning their THC shrub drinks for the night. Is it? Is there a game tonight? Maybe that's what. Uh, I don't know. Are I don't know if there's a game. Um, I'm gonna have some friends over and play cards. Okay. So we're thinking about what we're gonna have. I say that as if I know what I'm talking. I could mean any <laughs> kind of <ball>. game. <laughs> Any sort of sports ball. We do have our question up today for Weekly Dish, and it says it's National Cheese Day. All right. In honor of Stephanie March, who's out sick today. She loves cheese. Uh, the question is, what cheese can't you live without? And what's your favorite way to use said cheese in a recipe? Alex, I'm going to put you on the spot. What sure. is the cheese that you can't live without? I could live without any cheese. Really? Yes. You're not a cheeser? <laughs> not a cheeser. Do you eat cheese ever? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not anti-cheese. It's just... I love putting feta in salads. I love melty, gooey cheese as a topping for things. But I, you will never see me just chomping on a hunk of cheese. Uh, 651-641-1071. 
Oh my gosh! No judgment is, to anyone no, who does. No judgment. And Stephanie, you know, is such a big cheeser because she she likes the saltier things, the heartier things. And so. cheese is like a meal for her sometimes, yeah. like just literally the cheese, right? Um, what's you? So you use feta and you use it in a. I'll make like a like a nice vegetable salad, so no lettuce, just chopped oh, up cucumbers, yeah. chopped up tomatoes, uh, chopped up a red onion corn beans whatever whatever you have yep. around but i don't not usually lettuce because that you can keep a bowl of that stuff in your refrigerator for a couple yes. of days but if there's no lettuce in it and so then i just put i put the cheese in as i'm gonna eat it not the cheese doesn't Got sit it. in there and i just love that little tiny bit of salt that little tiny bit of cream so you're using cheese like a condiment as sure yes yes that's actually yeah i use cheese as as one of many ingredients not as the, the star of the show I'm not yes if if you had a tray a cheese and a cheese and cracker tray that would not be my jam yeah it's not really mine either mm-hmm. if i'm being perfectly honest no. i like cheese and i like some ooey gooey cheeses but yeah it's not my primary yes um yes. we've got phil on the line hi phil how are you happy new year well, happy New Year to you too. To say I got to represent all the Wisconsin people out there Uh-oh. with the cheese and stuff like that. Please, uh, you know, you know this thing called sports ball. It's called the NFL, and the <laughs> Packers are usually in the playoffs. And tonight they play San Francisco. Oh, oh so there's a Packer Tuesday, game tonight on National Cheese Day. Celebrate. <laughs> Cheer on those Green Bay Packers. Love your Wisconsin neighbor next door. And uh, I also agree. Feta is uh, later in life here. I've really become an adopted to uh, the Feta. Okay, this is funny. It is somewhat heresy to be talking about National Cheese Day and not know that there's a Packer playoff game happening. My relatives are all in Wisconsin. They would be oh, so I aghast. <laughs> I know that. It's all good. We still love you. That's Thank funny. you. Thanks, Phil. I appreciate I you, you calling in. Uh, Regina has a question. Hi, Regina. How you doing today? Well, hello, Stephanie. I'm going non-cheese. I am looking for a good place. Speaking of non, this is non-bistro clothes. I'm oh. looking for a I know. Let's I just have it. a collective sigh a no minute for kidding. that dumpling, that rabbit dumpling. Oh, and okay. That patio. Yes. Their thought was the best in the world. And, um, <clears throat> it's my, my absolute comfort food. And to find another place that sells, that has uh, grass-fed pho mm. in, in the Twin Cities. I have I've been looking. I've called and called. <laughs> yeah, because I know of good pho places. Like, I love Quang. I like um, I Saigon. But okay. I don't think that they're using grass-fed. That's a unique thing. That, that is where somebody needs to come in and fill that gap because they will be... They will be busy, they will make money, and uh, they'll be happy, and they'll make other people happy. Yeah, so if you're, so how are you filling your craving? Are you going to other places? Uh, not really, no, not for the pho. Um, I, I, uh, I have been um, enjoying Evanston Grand. Um, I, I try to get there every couple weeks. Could you repeat that? I didn't hear what you said. Everest on Grand. Oh, sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Himalayan food. Yeah. That, yeah, that's not. I mean, I love I love those warm flavors, the sunshine in my food, but the that's not pho. So I'm just going without, and I'm very sad. Yeah, I I hear you, girl. All right, we're gonna mm-hmm. look. If anyone okay. knows of anything, give us a call six five one six four one one zero seven one. I'm a little um 
handcuffed here without Smarch because she would probably know. know the meats. But I will look and see if I can find anything for you, Regina, okay? Oh, awesome. Thank you. You guys have a great day. You too. All right, we're going to take a break. We'll be right back. You're listening to The Weekly Dish. Hour 2 is coming up.